the Little Detours with Regina Brett, where in 10 minutes or less, you get tips, tools, and takeaways to help you love yourself, your life, and everyone in it. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Regina Brett. The worst newspaper column I ever wrote turned out to be one of my best, thanks to a teacher. Joanne Hollis was named Teacher of the Year at the local vocational school in the town where I grew up. She loved to teach home economics to the learning disabled and students with multi-handicaps in Ravenna, Ohio. She saw the promise in them that everyone else missed. Her specialty was to make people feel important. Joanne was dying of cancer when I interviewed her a few days before Easter for a column that was going to run on Easter Sunday. The day after I met her, I wrote a column for that Thursday that turned out to be the worst column I'd ever written. I tried to be funny and failed. It was the best I could do on a day when my muse went A-W-O-L. I wrote an entire column calling Easter the grossest holiday on the calendar. Here are a few words that ran with the headline, Easter treats can make you a basket case. Quote, from a dietary point of view, it's enough to make the Easter bunny barf. Every candy maker thinks consumers buy sweets on the basis of color. The brighter, the better. Pepto-Bismol pink is still the number one shade, with vile violet a close second. And why does everything have to come shaped like an egg? Who decided this? Surely not the Easter bunny. Left to their own devices, eggs are downright nasty. The only good egg is a deviled egg. Baby blue robin candy eggs? They've been around forever, but what kind of kid would want to eat a robin's egg? And what kind of parent would let them? Chocolate bunnies are still bestsellers, but good luck finding one that doesn't taste like it came from a wax museum. If you think I'm the only one fed up with the candy situation, just wait till Sunday. Don't be surprised if the Easter Bunny leaves some little brown droppings by your basket, and they won't be raisinettes. End quote. Well, my colleagues in the newsroom rolled their eyes when they read it. I overheard one of them say I must have been running on fumes when I wrote that one. A few readers called to criticize it, and I felt embarrassed. I had done the best I could with what I had that day, but their criticism hit my internal doubt button, the one that plays the same recording. What the hell is wrong with you? Can't you do anything right? The voice of my dad at his worst still plays on inside of me on those days when I judge myself too harshly or someone else does. That voice wore me down until the day I spoke to Joanne's husband after my column about her ran on Easter Sunday. I wrote about how the teacher's from Maplewood Joint Vocational School in Ravenna, had given her the Best Educator of the Year Award. Joanne was 44 and dying of uterine cancer. In just five months, it had spread to her colon, liver, lungs, spine, and brain. It was almost harder for her to learn that she wouldn't return to the classroom than to hear the cancer had spread. Joanne no longer had a classroom, but still had lessons to offer from the hospital bed in her home. The first thing she taught me was to look into a person's eyes and call him or her by name. Once her hazel eyes caught mine, they wouldn't let go. When I interviewed Joanne, she was bedridden, her bald head wrapped in a lovely silk scarf. She beckoned me to come closer so she could look into my eyes as we talked. She exuded a warmth I have never felt from anyone before or since. It was as if her whole body radiated a light that you couldn't see, but you could feel. I felt like I was in the presence of pure love and grace. The closer you got to her, the less you noticed her hair had fallen out 
that her skin was growing transparent. She told me busloads of teachers had showed up at her yard with signs proclaiming, Way to go, Joe! World-class teacher! And teachers touch lives! Each one walked across the lawn and stepped up to her bedroom window to thank her. Joanne spoke in the present tense about her job, even though she knew she'd never go back. Hard coughs punctuated each sentence. She told me why she loved to teach handicapped students. She said, when they come into your classroom, they look at the floor. They don't have any self-esteem. They don't have the idea that they're good people. People have put them down. People have shoved them in corners. People have shunned them. One of the greatest gratifications for me is to watch those eyes come off the floor and meet mine, and you know they're going to make it. Her job was to play students in service jobs. She said they can learn job skills any place if people have patience with them. It's a little tougher to learn the life skills. When she took a van load of students to get fast food, she stopped at each child's favorite restaurant to let them exert their individual choices. At the United Church of Christ, where she was a Sunday school teacher, she started the Intentional Care Unit, where members visit the sick, sent cards, and offered rides to the hospital. As a Girl Scout leader, she put fun first. Her scouts didn't always rough it when camping. She confided, once a year we go to the Sheridan. If the girls want to spend their cookie money there, that's fine with me. I just like to have fun. You make it fun, and they'll remember it for the rest of their lives, whether it's schoolwork, housework, or church work. The most important job she worried about leaving was motherhood. She wanted to live long enough to see her son, Tony, who was 16, become an Eagle Scout, and her daughter, Dawn, who was 14, be confirmed in the church. Joanne knew she wouldn't live to see them graduate or marry or have children. She wanted them to remember how much she loved them. She wanted them to know that the beauty and wonder of each day was theirs to celebrate simply by waking to it. Joanne loved the dawn. Oh, it's so beautiful. You see that sunrise start to come up and you know that's the glory of God, she told me. She wanted her children and students to share her life's job description, which she found in her favorite passage of the Bible in Ephesians. Walk worthy of the vocation that you are called with all lowliness and meekness. You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Her light went out on Easter Sunday. Joanne Hollis died at dawn, her favorite time of day. When I heard she died, I called her husband, Bill. He told me, you know that column you wrote about Easter candy? <gasps> I braced myself. Oh no, I thought, did I, did it push her over the edge? Was it that bad? He wanted me to know that he had sat next to her in her hospital bed and read it to her. She laughed and laughed, he told me. Later that afternoon, she slipped into a coma. She never woke up. I want to thank you for that column. It was the last time we ever laughed together. That was Joanne's gift to me. To know that even at my worst, I can still be a gift. To know that even meager efforts can touch one person in a profound way. To know that the results of what I do are none of my business. I think of Joanne Hollis every time I judge myself or someone else too harshly. How do we really know the worth of our work? It's not our job to judge the worth of what we offer the world, but to keep offering it regardless. You might never know the true worth of your efforts, or it could just simply be too soon to tell. 
Thanks for listening to Little Detours with Regina Brett. I'm grateful you joined me and hope you keep coming back. You can subscribe to Little Detours with Regina Brett at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, please give me a rating and review so I can reach even more people. If you want more inspiration, head to my website, reginabrett.com. And while you're there, sign up for weekly inspiration for all of life's little detours. Thanks again for listening. Now go make something possible.